My name is Dane. Uh, I work here in the youth ministry, um, and so get the awesome privilege of spending lots of time uh, with these students and all the others that are in the service today. Um, I realized uh, I went back and just watched Matthew's sermon from last week to get a little bit of context and um, realized he only had four scriptures that he shared and he did 40 minutes. So I've got 14 today. Um, yeah, so you can take whatever you want from that. Uh, we all find ourselves uh, in a society that says that they're very inclusive of all people, but it doesn't take long to look around us and realize that that inclusive is very subjective. Um, in fact, society maybe isn't as inclusive as they want to say they are. Um, and I, I bet in your day-to-day -day lives, there's, a, there's not a day that goes by where you don't see some kind of uh, hierarchical structure around social norms and things we see around us. Um, for the students here, and maybe for some of the older people that can remember back, um, if you think just about your school cafeteria, there are certain places that are reserved for the social, um, the people who are up there, and uh, people who are maybe lower on the social ladder, uh, if they found themselves there, they would very quickly be told that that's not their place. Um, and even if you think about school sports teams, um, there is this tendency for um, those who have made it in the school sports teams to kind of walk over those who um, are under them or the lower social status so that they can make themselves look uh, how they feel, like the proud sports people that they are. Um, many other places in school as well, but in the workplace, um, there's a lot of things that often get uh, reserved for those who are higher up uh, in, the, in the working ladder. Uh, stuff like maybe the best furniture or the best computers, maybe best food or first time or first getting food and everyone gets the leftovers or maybe even the corner office or the office with a view. Uh, and they sometimes get the extra perks uh, when all the other uh, members don't. Um, and these things aren't all bad and of themselves, but it, it, it shows that there's these structures that uh, play out in our lives. And even uh, something like a conference, if you've ever been to a conference, you'll notice that there are certain people that people will automatically flock to, um, to go speak or to network, and those are usually the conference leaders or the invited guests or the, those who have perceived status um, at that conference, and the people who maybe are just your average people who are living and working and learning that come to the conference are often the ones sitting quietly having conversation at the table, which is also quite interesting because they're often the, the people who've had to overcome the most uh, adversity in their lives to get to that place. They've had to work the hardest. And um, yeah, it's just really interesting because we see these um, structures all around us every day. And we can even look at social media and we can look at things like influencers and uh, when an influencer says something, everyone sort of follows or does it, and that can even be to the detriment of other human beings, which is also quite interesting because an influencer is usually meant to be the one who's uplifting human life and, and all of those things. But we can see that all over the place, we can see it in social media, society places massive importance in how I am seen to the people around me, or how I am seen to the media, or how I am seen to my peers. It's all about the, the outward appearance, and we forget or lose the heart part of it. And that's often why we see things like fallen leaders, or often why we see things like uh, celebrities who, who fall. It's because they're always working on this outward appearance, but their heart is never being uh, focused on. 
And so today, um, it's really good to be able to look at how Jesus addresses this solution as he's uh, invited to the head of the Pharisees' home, um, and he's surrounded by a bunch of lawmakers. Um, Jesus is obviously the solution to, <laughs> to everything. That's why you're at church. Um, but in particular here, if you think about Jesus' life, he constantly came up against criticism, against attack. Uh, there were people always against him in his ministry. But when you look at him, he just unwaveringly continued the mission that he set out to do, despite all of that stuff. And it's, it's one of those things that we look at him and go, like, I'd, I'd love to have that kind of confidence, you know, that no matter what people say or what I think people are thinking, that I can still unwaveringly step forward um, into the future, step forward into what God has for me in the next coming years. And so we're going to read uh, this exchange that Jesus has with uh, the Pharisees. And so if you have your Bibles uh, or your phones, you can turn with me to Luke 14, verse 1 to 14. I'll give you a sec to turn there. And let's see how Jesus addresses um, these social differences. Let's read. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, which is edema that we would know today. Uh, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. Then he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, hey, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he said to them, sorry, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we just want to have open hearts to you. We all come from so many different places with all different experiences. and Lord, we just want to be in this place today with your Holy Spirit coming in opening our hearts to what you want to do. Because ultimately, Lord, we know that when you speak, you bring freedom and you bring life and you bring hope. And that's exactly what we want. 
And so, Lord, have your way in us today. Amen. So in the time between the Old and the New Testament, which is called the intertestamental period, um, the Pharisees, before they were called Pharisees, they saw um, the, uh, the moral decline of the Jewish people. So their countrymen, the people who they lived with, who they were, the other people around them, they saw this decline. And so they took it on themselves to become the set-apart ones, which is what Pharisee means, set-apart. Um, and they committed to keep the law without faltering. So they would vehemently keep the law no matter what. Um, in fact, one of the things that some of them would believe is that if they managed to keep the law completely, even just for one day, that maybe the Savior would come back because of their ability to do that, um, which is quite funny because the Messiah, the Savior, is sitting right in front of them in this exchange. But this is what they believed, and I, I really believe that in the beginning, they probably had pretty good um, reasons or their, um, the attitudes of their heart were pretty good. They saw something bad going on and they wanted to make sure that they were the solution themselves. But what ended up happening is over the years, this sort of shifted into this prideful, wanting everyone to think of them as the holy righteous ones. It was no longer about um, seeing a heart problem and wanting to fix the heart problem, but it was about an external appearance thing. They wanted everyone to see that they were up there, that they had it all together. In fact, that they were doing all the right things, and so God favored them more than anyone else. That's where we find ourselves today in this passage in Luke, and exactly what Jesus is um, addressing. We find ourselves in the home of the ruler, of the, or a ruler of the Pharisees, is what the Bible says. Um, and it's interesting that Jesus' attitude was the same as he would have been to the poor or those who needed to be healed. He was there, and he was eating with them. <laughs> That was Jesus' way. Just because they were the Pharisees, and as we know of the Pharisees, they were really hard-hearted and said some really nasty things, <laughs> he was still there. Um, and it said something about, or says something about who Jesus is. But in verse one, it says that the Pharisees, they watched Jesus closely. And it's quite an interesting uh, thing, because if you look at the original, watching him closely, um, the original actually, it says there was sinister intent in their, um, in their watching. They were, they were watching Jesus. He's going to slip up. He's going to make a mistake. So much so that um, scholars believe that this man with edema, if you don't know what edema is, it's when your body um, holds onto water and it, and it swells up. It's, it's not a nice um, illness, and it would be very noticeable in a gathering like that. But that is why most scholars actually believe that that man was planted there. Which is also quite funny because uh, in the next verse, Jesus heals the man and then sends him away. If he wasn't a real invited guest, that would be pretty insulting. <laughs> you know, send away their guest. Uh, anyway, so he was probably planted there to trap Jesus and these, these Pharisees were watching and waiting. Um, and this is also the third time that Jesus is about to heal someone on the Sabbath. So these Pharisees, they knew Jesus' way <laughs> and they were trying to trap him here. So, in this weird, awkward dinner where everyone's got these sinister eyes on Jesus and Jesus is just like, you know, loving like he does. Can you imagine that awkward dinner? It'd be pretty bad. Um, he asks them, and these are the lawmakers, right? He asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And uh, 
If you remember a few weeks back, before the Abide series, the worship series, um, there was this um, woman who had uh, a disabling spirit for 18 years, and um, the Pharisees confronted him as well, and the Bible actually says that when Jesus responded to them, they left embarrassed. And so you gotta imagine that just before this, like, they're, they're waiting for Jesus to uh, sort of embarrass them once again. And so the, the, the Pharisees don't say anything. In that moment, they, they don't say anything, which was actually not like them at all. And one of the reasons that they didn't say anything was what I just said, that um, they were embarrassed and they didn't want to have another scene where all of the people uh, would sort of think, oh, these Pharisees don't know what they're talking about. So they were quiet. But also that the Pharisees themselves had very differing ideas. They would debate the law a lot. And so some might have even believed that, yeah, you can heal on the Sabbath, whilst others were going, definitely not. And so they also wouldn't have wanted to create a big argument in that moment. So they were silenced, um, or they were silent in that moment. But what is funny is, um, if a lawmaker or a Pharisee, if they were silenced by an argument, it would actually be seen as though they didn't know anything, or they didn't know enough about that law. And so even that in themselves, them being silent, was an embarrassment to them. So one more thing. I want to just tell you before we um, carry on reading. Oh, sorry. So in reply, Jesus healed the man. So he healed him and sent him away. And then he asked this of the Pharisees. Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? If your son or daughter fell in a hole and the law said, oh, you can't pull him out, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. Straight away, right? And here Jesus is confronting not the outward appearance, but the heart issue of the Pharisees. And once again, they're silent in this moment. Because there, there is an inner working going on in their hearts, right? And this is the same argument he used. And uh, he, this is the same argument Jesus used on the back of the Pharisees saying, well, there's six days for work and one day for rest. And Jesus goes, oh, you hypocrites, you know, like... Here's a person in need, um, and they were embarrassed. So, as we read this um, next place, there's one more thing you need to know, and that is that um, when it came to a banquet like this, so um, people invited uh, to the Pharisee's house in this uh, example, um, there was a very important structure of how that would be laid out. The Pharisees would invite a bunch of people, or the banquet host would invite a bunch of people, and the people with the highest social status or standing or most wealthy or anything like that, they would be placed closest to the host, and then further and further away would be the people with lesser and lesser and lesser um, status within that room. Most of those people would most of the time be similar status, but there would be a very definite difference. Um, even to the place that uh, the, the Pharisees might have even uh, used that as an opportunity to shame someone. Not very often, but sometimes they would take someone who was sort of in the middle and they had done something to irritate or annoy uh, that person and they would place them at the end so that everyone at the thing would know, oh, you know, this person's, you know, there's a problem with him. Um, so that was the, the nature of this seating arrangement that Jesus was at, and Jesus saw that. And so let's read from verse 7. <clears throat> Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, 
When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give this place to this person. And then you will begin with shame and take the lowest seat. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Have you ever thought about your own dinner tables, whether that be a wedding or a Christmas party or something like that? You can even see these sort of social structures at play. Um, Usually if you think about a wedding, like the people sitting closest to the bride and groom and their tables, the families and so and so. Um, Think about your own Christmas parties. Um, I know that in in our sort of family gatherings, there was always like the adult table and there was like the kids table. um, And the kids table was always this small table on the side and the adult table was the normal, you know, big dining room table. Um, And even when we get to sort of 35 years old, we're still sitting at the kids' table because everyone is still there. It's it's this interesting nature of of the seating that we have. And one in particular that I was reminded of when I was thinking about this was uh, I used to do regular lunches um, with my grandparents. Uh, My my grandfather's now passed away. Um, But every, I think it's like a Monday, once a week I would go to my grandparents' house and go have lunch there. And no matter who was invited to that lunch gathering, uh, I would be, this is how it would look, like my grandfather would be at the head of the table, and then I would be to his right, and my grand would be to his left. And that's how we would sit, and we'd have guests come, uh, other than the Christmas gathering where I'm sitting at the kids' table. um, This would be the seating. And my grand would always um, remind me that my grandfather saw me like a son. Um, And long story short, uh, when I was... uh, born, well, before I was born, my my father uh, decided not to be a part of my life, Um, and so my grandfather actually took that picture of father for me. Um, And so, yeah, I was like, in this dynamic of table, I was the son of my grandfather in this this moment. It's a beautiful picture of, of seating. And again, if you think about all those things I mentioned earlier about the school cafeteria, if you think about work, if you think about conference and stuff, you can very quickly see the the social standing based on where people sit. And so that's exactly what Jesus is addressing right here, uh, is this culture of phenomena. And it applies to us today. People prize their social position. People prize that people see me uh, in this elevated way. It was very important to them. And what's interesting is this isn't something new to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the experts in the law, should have seen this in the Old Testament, that uh, Jesus was actually drawing straight from it. In Proverbs 25, it says, Don't put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. Because it's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. This is the Old Testament. This is what the Pharisees should be so well-versed in. But clearly, that pride in their hearts was way bigger. It had blinded them to the truth that God was trying to say, that they don't need that social status. In fact, that the best place you can be is lower down, because then you will be exalted. N.T. Wright has a 
a really good quote um, when we think about these Pharisees. It says, pride notoriously is the great cloud which blots out the sun of God's generosity. If I reckon that I deserve to be, fa- sorry, if I reckon that if I deserve to be favored by God, not only do I declare that I don't need his grace, mercy, and love, but I imply that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. The Pharisees felt like they deserved this love of God. They deserved to have this status. And they ended up being blinded from the actual freedom it was to be a part of God's kingdom. They were blinded to the fact that the Messiah was sitting right with them at this meal, the most privileged thing that could be happening. And they're trying to sinisterly uh, trap him. And in this sort of attitude they had, they brought other people down. There was, a, there was a, a feeling within people that they couldn't achieve what these um, Pharisees did. And so what's the point in trying? People were lowly because these guys had lifted themselves up. But Jesus wanted us to see this upside-down kingdom of, of, of God. And he was turning this all on his head in this moment. He wanted us to hear the kingdom perspective. And so there was an example um, that I heard as I was prepping for this from R.C. Sproul. Um, And some of you, it will be really close to home, and some of you, you you can understand. But it's it's of of a massive symphony orchestra. And in this particular example, um, R.C. Sproul was attending the the recording of this orchestra, and uh, there were 40 to 50 strings section. Um, And in particular, there were around 25 violins. Now, the concert master was the number one chair violin, so he was the best violinist that was at this um, symphony recording. So R.C. Sproul went up to um, this concert master and asked him, you know, what, what is it like to be the 25th chair, the last chair violin? And R.C. Sproul said something really beautiful. He said that whoever is in that seat is thrilled to be there, to be able to be a part of this orchestra at all. They were 20, seat 25, the very lowest seat, thrilled to be there because this is, a, this is the best place that I could be right here and right now. Now, think about it this way. If that person in seat 25 decided they were just going to plonk themselves in seat number one, how quickly will they be ashamed and embarrassed when the concert league goes, ah, you need to go to your spot, and then they'll slink away all sad back to where they belong. But how amazing is the flip side of that of you work hard and you, you place yourself in that low seat and then in, through all your hard work and your practicing that the concert master goes, hey, I've seen you. I'm gonna move you up to seat number four and in front of everybody you take that walk and it's not a walk of shame, it's a walk of, wow, I've, I've been seen. I just thought it was such a beautiful story and I, I couldn't think of one that was better than that to just depict what Jesus is trying to say here. Let's look at verse 11, which is sort of the crux of this thing. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It summarizes what Jesus is trying to teach here, that we need to intentionally seat ourselves low, because in that place we will be lifted up. When we place ourselves high, there is always risk of being embarrassed by being chopped down, as the Pharisees were embarrassed whenever Jesus 
confronted them with the scripture. <laughs> so as I was preparing and thinking about this, I actually, I thought about Paul, and uh, it was actually quite uncanny because I've never thought about it in this way before. But when you think about Paul, there was a couple of key things that Paul said. He said, firstly, that he was the worst of the sinners, of all sinners. If you want to go read them later, you're welcome to write them down. But he was the worst of all the sinners. He said that he was the least of the apostles. He even said that he was the worst of all of God's people. He acknowledged that all of his accomplishments, all of his success, the only place they came from was because of God's grace in his life. And he knew well. (laughs) He had a massive encounter of God's grace in his life. So when Paul says something like, follow me as I follow Christ, it's a powerful statement, right? Because he's saying, here's who I am, I'm nothing. I've got no credentials that are worth following other than Jesus is at work in my life. And do you think that his humility made his ministry any less powerful? No. In fact, I mean, we all know Paul. Like, he had a powerful ministry, and God is powerfully at work. And he was one of the formational people of the early church. Jesus is calling us to this life of humility, to this choosing of putting ourselves in that low seat, the lowest, the seat of humility. Jesus is is calling us to that. But we do have a danger, because we can look at those Pharisees and go, oh yeah, Jesus was right. Those Pharisees needed to be rebuked. They needed a word. They needed to you know, be put right in their place. But we actually, we lose sight of the fact that we're often in the same boat as well. I can say that I'm in the same boat as well. Just the other day, I uh, had this picture of myself that I thought was who I was, and then in a moment of weakness, I lost my cool, and uh, suddenly that place that, you know, Dane's calm and fine, was all shattered. If I had placed myself in the place of humility, and if I had said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm nothing, that would have changed that whole thing. We're all, we're all not, what, we're all not infallible. Infallible? Anyway, yeah, we're all in the same boat in this one. And so Jesus wants us to know the bigger picture here. Living the kind of life where we're always worried and always stressed about what people are thinking about us. When we're always looking around us, whether that's in our workplace, whether that's in home, where we feel like there's this invisible standard that we have to be above or else we're not making it. It's tiring. It's stressful. It brings anxiety. Those standards we can't keep. The only one who could was Jesus and none of us are him. Sometimes even live lives like that so that we can have the feeling that God accepts us or approves of us. But in reality, he has already through Jesus. We don't have to achieve that. The scary thing or sad thing is that whether we choose to place ourselves in that seat of humility or not, one day, sooner or later, we will end up there. And if it is the day that we don't choose to do it, it'll be a painful, <laughs> difficult day. And I, think, I think some of you in this room will know what it's like to reach that place. It, it's, 
It sucks. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And Jesus knows. And so Jesus is saying to us, let's place ourselves in this low place. It's quite funny. I, uh, it's amazing how you see things in the most random places, but I, I went to watch uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse yesterday. It's the new uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man. Um, and there's one quote in there. Uh, this, this shouldn't be a spoiler, just in case you are not planning to watch it. Um, but Miles asks this other Spider-Man, how are you even cooler under that mask? And the guy says, I was cool the whole time. <laughs> oh, I was this cool the whole time. Like, that, that is the truth. We're not cool when we're putting up this mask in front of us. We're the best person we can be when we're completely open and vulnerable before Jesus, where he can come in and do a powerful work. We as a youth ministry have been working through Romans, and Romans is all about the gospel. And it's all about realizing that it's only when we come to that place where we realize that we are nothing, that we realize that our sinfulness, that all of those things that we strive to be and all of the things that we've done wrong, that like, we can never achieve a place of, of goodness in our lives, that that's only Jesus can do that. When we reach that place is when the gospel comes alive and becomes this beautiful thing that permeates our hearts. It's only then. We'll never choose the gospel when we're in the high place, when we think we've got it all together. We have to come to that low place. And when we do, God can come and do work in our lives and he can lift our position and he can begin that healing work that we've been avoiding to keep up appearances. And so, we've got three more verses to go. And uh, as we do read these verses, I really want us to, to think of these verses in the context of what we've just seen around these social structures and what Jesus is calling us to be in the seat of humility. So let's read from verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, who's the, the head of the Pharisees, um, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the res resurrection of the just. This banquet table, and even today it's the same, it's a place of intimacy. It's the place where we share our deepest conversations, and it was no different then. This was a place of intimacy. And so, when Jesus is addressing this, he certainly is not saying that we shouldn't hang out with our friends, but he is saying that when we do that, our reward is immediate. Our reward is that good time that we have together and you know, the feeling of as I give, I'm also getting back. But what he says is when you, do, when you have a banquet, like prioritize the, the lowly, the broken, the lame, the blind. And I, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what this actually, there's a direct um, correlation here between if you look at that and you look at who Jesus was, like they're the same. Jesus was that host. And God could have decided, hey, the Jewish people were the ones that would always be the ones and no one else would ever be invited in. But no, Jesus at the cross 
made the way open for the lost, for the poor, for the crippled, for the lame, for the blind. That's us. Jesus made the way for us. We are those people. In that place of realizing that is where Jesus can come in and do a work in our lives. And so I want to focus on one more um, short scripture, and I've, I've made pieces stand out on the screen so you can see them. But it's Philippians 2. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, direct relation here to these Pharisees, was about, like, what can I get out of this? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Place yourselves in that seat of humility. In that low seat, everyone else is more significant, right? Let each of you look not only to his own desires, but also to the interest of others. That's humility. Not other people, but to, sorry, not yourself, but to other people. And then six, verse six to nine, this is Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, which is that Jesus chose that seat of humility. But taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that humbling, therefore, God exalted him. Isn't that like directly the same as what we're just reading Jesus calling us here? That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus forgot about his status. If you think about that garden, Jesus said, God, if it's your will, take this cup, but not my will, your will. And Jesus forsook it all to the place of death on a cross. At any stage, he could have gone, no, I'm God. I don't want to go through this, but he didn't. At any stage, he could have made his status known and ended it. But he kept himself that servant with that heart of love for us. And um, Nikki uh, Scott, who's on the prayer um, team, she came and just shared something with me which is really apt. (laughs) Um, And I was speaking about my grandfather earlier and I didn't realize or think about this at the time, but there's a really good picture of, of God, right? Like, I was fatherless, and like my grandfather said, you're my son. And for all of us, to, to a sense, we were fatherless. And God said, you're my son, and through Jesus welcomed us in. And so today, maybe uh, there's a a couple of ways that maybe God has been speaking to you. Um, And so I just want to encourage you as um, the band comes out and this gets ready. um, Firstly, maybe maybe you've been a victim of these sort of social structures and maybe you've been a victim of someone else who's pushed themselves up high and in the process crushed you low. And you've found yourself in a seat of humility, not because 
you wanted to choose it, but because you were pushed there by somebody else and you felt immense pain in this journey. Can I just say to you that there is comfort and there's hope in this seat of humility. Maybe um, you've just found yourself constantly seeking the approval of others um, or trying to make yourself look good um, so that you can earn the favor of maybe your supervisors or bosses or anything like that. But this has become a weight that is too difficult to carry on uh, carrying. Can I say that there is rest in that seat of humility this morning? And maybe, um, I mentioned it earlier, but maybe there is this, this front and you know that there's a brokenness inside. You know that there is something that is hurting, something that you, you don't wanna touch on in your life. And you've been putting this mask on. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, like, take off that mask. I want the real you. That's who I created. And that's who I wanna be a part of. Come to me how you are, where you are because there is healing and there's restoration in this seat of humility. And maybe even you come here and you, and you feel invisible. In fact, you feel like you can't put yourself in that seat of humility because I just, I'm not seen ever. And maybe, maybe you serve in, in an invisible ministry in the church. Maybe you serve coffee or something like that. Or maybe you just come in, slip in, and then slip out at the end and no one notices you. Can I say there's welcome, there's acceptance, and there's affirmation in the seat of humility. And there's another really cool picture, and that was that for you, um, that seat was like Jesus was sitting there, and then he got up and he kept it warm for you, and and you're sitting there. But it's this beautiful picture of Jesus sees you. And lastly, I just want to say that if, if this is the first time maybe that this gospel of Jesus this love that he gives for you, this realization that I don't have to try and be something else, but I can be at that bottom place. And that's the best, most restful place I could be. That this uh, amazing thing that Jesus has done in dying for us so that we, the broken, lost, cripple, can come in and eat with him. That we have a seat at the table. Can I say to you that there is the free gift of salvation for you this morning. And so we're going to have a moment to uh, respond in worship. But I also want to say that, hey, if there's anything else (laughs) that you want prayer for this morning, our prayer team will be out um, at the front here. And maybe if you want a more private space, you can go to the prayer room on the side over there. But hey, we want to pray with you. I want to say one more thing, and then we'll, we'll worship together. And that's this. Imagine Imagine what church would be like if we all placed ourselves completely in that seat of humility where we didn't have to vie for anything, but it was all about what God was doing in our lives. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what that would be to the outsider coming in, to that invisible person. Imagine what that would be to the person who's being crushed in their life. It's a beautiful picture, and it's one that Jesus wants us to fight for in our lives. So, let us stand together. We're gonna respond in worship this morning. 
sorry. The prayer team will be uh, out in the front. If you do want prayer, please, for anything, you can come this morning. Let's worship.